0: From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. I'm Mark Gordon And somewhere, although I can't see him, is my co-host David Harris. Um, I'm at Ben-Gurion Airport waiting at Gate E6 for what promises to be an excellent expedition. I am going to get the opportunity to fly on the Middle East's largest airline, Emirates. Over today's podcast, we will hope to bring you a small taste of life with Emirates. Kosher food an amazing entertainment system, probably the best business class in the Middle East, and just get a feel for why Emirates have come to Israel. One minute. David, where are you? I turn my back for one minute, and he arranges a trip
0: a day ahead of me. Lots of fun, lots of excitement, lots of meetings, lots of interviews. Lucky Mark. But 24 hours later, I'm now in Gurion airport on my way to meet mark and our hosts from emirates looking forward to this journey very jealous of mark not just because he's had hopefully lots of fun over the last 24 hours but also because he's got to see behind the scenes what emirates is all about whether it's the service the kosher food I'll be joining him for at least one interview where we will be taking a look at the onboard experience which I guess as far as you the listener is concerned is perhaps the most important thing so that's to come
1: just to give you a few bits of very interesting information about Emirates Emirates was only launched in 1985 making it 36 years old so for the fourth largest airline in the world and the largest in the Middle East it is also one of the youngest It started with a loan of two aircraft from Pakistan International Airways and $10 million investment. Today Emirates has over 250 aircraft, over 40,000 employees and has the world's largest fleet of A380s and Boeing 777s. But it wouldn't be one of our podcasts without a question. And obviously question number one, David. Emirates operated its first commercial flight On October the 25th, 1985, where did it fly to?
0: By now, I'm sure that Mark has already posed that quiz question. And of course, it's time for me to say the answers at the end of the pod.
1: This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. Finally, after 24
0: hours, we were reunited in the middle of the night. I'd love to say it was romantic, but Mark was snoring away on the fifth floor, and there was me, a sleepless night on the tenth floor.
1: By snoring, you mean drinking? Uh,
0: I'm not saying anything, but you did say, hang on a minute, I've got a bit more of the bottle to finish before I come and say hello.
1: So I looked round on the plane and you weren't there, it's, it's just, I'm not familiar with this. I normally turn around and go David this is great or David oh god this is awful and I had to look around and there was a man sleeping next to me with his feet on the screen, it just wasn't the same.
0: So we're at breakfast, thanks very much indeed to Emirates for hosting us or putting us up at the Grand Hyatt Dubai, very nice indeed it is too. What have I missed over the last 24 hours?
1: Uh, about 8,000 people saying, good morning, sir. It is a phenomenally polite place. Very.
0: If you've not been to the Middle East, but you've seen those movies from way back where you have somebody with affairs bowing and saying, welcome, welcome, that's not that far from the reality. You don't see the fez in this part of the Middle East. You see many, many people who are from the um, Indian subcontinent, uh, from the Philippines and so on, but all of them
1: cannot do enough for you I know and I learned this morning about classical Indian music and training for it from our waiter so what have we got on today we're going back to Emirates HQ you haven't been there yet I can't wait Mm. it's very good
0: so maybe do you know what before we carry on let's do the description even though we're not actually there what's Emirates HQ like because everybody thinks of Emirates as being you know incredibly fancy plush great service how does that translate for the for the people who do the work at uh, uh, headquarters?
1: I get the feeling that I didn't see any percentage of the headquarters. I came in through door A. Now, w- when you've got loads of different entrances, you know it's a big building. <laughs> right. I went to the, the Costa Coffee and had a coffee there, okay. which all the staff can use. There's like a shopping mall on the ground floor, a big atrium in the middle and all the offices around the atrium. And I went to... The top floor where all, all the executives live. It's all right for some, isn't it? Yes. I went past the uh, prince's office, who was in residence. So
0: the prince is the the chairman. The chairman, Okay.
1: And I went down the corridor into the office of the chief commercial officer, mm-hmm. who has this wonderful vista over the airport. Right. So his view is Dubai, mm-hmm. and in front of Dubai, the airport. And I think when it was built, the world's longest terminal building. So you can see the entrance where people come into Dubai International and all of the different concourses and rows and rows and rows of Emirates wide-bodied jets.
0: So for myself and for the listeners, Mark, who are we going to hear from first? And you've already done three interviews. Who's our first guest?
1: I think we should talk to the man at the top of the ivory tower. Mm -hmm. Um, He's called Adnan Kazim. He is the Chief Commercial Officer of Emirates Airlines and has been with Emirates, I think since he left school. Wow, let's hear from him.
2: Once I graduated from Emirates uh, Al Ain University in the United Arab Emirates, I joined this, this company and I went through a management training program for almost three years and then was assigned as area managers and outside the station and then grew step by step into different portfolio and head office back in 2007 and planning and revenue optimization and different sort of entities until 2019, I got to this job. I'm almost 31 years uh, working in this uh, company, uh, which is quite long, but, but time passed quite fast as well for me. You said you've been here
1: nearly 31 years, although obviously you came as a small child because you don't look like you've been working here for 30 years. When you started 30 years ago, did you ever think we'd be talking about
2: an Emirates, Tel
1: Aviv, Dubai route?
2: Tel Aviv and Israel in particular was quite an, uh, something that we were waiting uh, for. It. We saw what's going on down there in terms of the potential, in terms of the opportunity. We knew that this market is really underserved in terms of the link uh, and connection with many airlines. We were getting some of that traffic through various channels in the past. Before even Emirates commencing, we realized the, the scale and the size of that opportunity from trade to tourism side to... Even the, it's quite a vibrant city in terms of the capital, and, and even I think when I look at it from the demand side, there was always people travelling in, in, a, in a high demand. We we saw that in our routes when we started our JFK. We saw in many other places we saw some some of that traffic was coming and flying with Emirates. When we, I mean the Abraham Accord, Abraham Accord was was signed. Definitely, that was something that we were closely again monitoring the situation to see how that would reflect into us being part of that whole uh, vibrant city and part of that, uh, that operation. Then we were hit with the pandemic partly, but even that did not uh, stop us to consider the operation. Um, it commenced with uh, Fly Dubai, where they took the lead to like more creating the base and creating the the flow between the two points and promoting the destination. And it wasn't that far away that uh, we have commenced our service back in June 22. And since then, I think it's a great story, I think, for us. What exactly is the relationship between Fly Dubai and Emirates? One of the key things that we share the same hub, which is uh, Dubai Airport, DXP. We have the same chairman, uh, Sheikh Ahmed bin Saeed al-Maktoum, who's chairing Flight Dubai at the same time. He's a chairman for Emirates Airline. We have entered to a very solid partnership, cooperation between the two airlines. Today with Flight Dubai and Emirates, we cover almost 210 destinations. Uh, Emirates is covering 140 points and fly Dubai, they do 70 unique points. So together we have uh, 210 unique destination covering in the world between the two airlines. We have very close co-chair arrangement between the two airlines. We share the same frequent uh, flyer program, uh, which is the skyward for both airlines. And we do talk to each other quite often in terms of the network, uh, how we can create more uh, synergy between the two airlines in terms of where they enter and where we enter. Emirates launched
1: Tel Aviv-Dubai route in June of 2022 this year, starting with one flight per day. How has the route worked out so far in terms of load and number of passengers, and are there plans to increase the frequency?
2: This is quite a unique destination, I think, that we never had in company's history that we launched a route which wasn't that far away, which is in June 22, as you mentioned. We have seen immediately an spike in, in the booking, and that booking was way above our expectation. Even I mean, flights were quite full, continuous to be full since we commenced, and it didn't take us more than one month that we launched the second flight in term of not launch in term of the announcement which will be commencing on uh, 30th of October, 22. The Tel Aviv-Dubai will be served with uh, double daily. And considering the size of Emirates in terms of putting the 777 ER capacity, 365 seater, that shows how the market responded to emirates product which was quite positive and it's quite healthy even again this is one of these history thing that happened i think that we increasing the frequency within a month of the operation the united arab emirates has become one of the most popular routes out of tel aviv really
1: quickly emirates have joined a very crowded market i think emirates are the sixth airline to fly between tel aviv and the united arab emirates What sets Emirates apart from the other five?
2: The traffic that's going on between the two points, it's uh, including all airlines who are operating between the road, they're all going through a healthy demand and health, healthy load carried carried by all of them. But what's unique about us, uh, that we come in with wide-body aircraft, we come in with a 777-300ER, which is different than a single uh, aisle uh, operation. In terms of the product, I think, uh, Emirates always stand to be a superior product in terms of the onboard uh, with the three classes, uh, which is again unique uh, for the route, uh, the first class and business class and economy, um, in addition to that, uh, when the passenger get back to Dubai to connect with our flights, uh, we have almost 30 to 40 destinations operated with the 380s. And the brand Emirates is very solid uh, internationally as well. So besides being attracting the traffic from Israel to Emirates network, it brings even traffic from the network to Israel because there is an element of trust that we build in, uh, around our brand and any place that we operate We just don't operate like that, we operate and we promote even the destination um, which we are doing and promoting uh, Tel Aviv as a destination.
1: Travelers coming from Tel Aviv, what are their preferred final destinations?
2: As we expected when we did uh, the route study for Tel Aviv, that some of these points will stand quite strong and it was exactly the same I think we have seen. A very solid demand to Australia and from Australia, Melbourne in particular, uh, we have seen a demand for Philippine uh, from two sides, in and out, that was standing quite unique. Uh, The demand on JFK, which is quite, again, that shows the brand and the product. And many people, they travel between uh, Tel Aviv, Dubai to go to JFK or come back from JFK. Again, that was one of these uh, points that we have seen. Quite a solid demand. Uh, Indonesia was another solid demand that we have seen, which is a bit surprising to us. Uh, Malaysia was again one of these markets which came in quite solid in terms of the demand. And as we progress and as we are ramping our network into South uh, Africa, that could be another highlight that will come in in the near future. Plus. We're adding now uh, Buenos Aires uh, back into our network, which will be commencing from winter schedule starting from November. I'm sure that will come in and pop in among the destination, which will be very popular between Buenos Aires, Dubai and Tel Aviv and back. uh, so yes, I think it's quite uh, widely spread between, as I mentioned, points in Asia, including now Japan. I think if we add to it, uh, to Africa, to Un- United States, and even South America will be will be part of that uh, strong demand that will be will be coming. So it's it's quite a widely spread movement uh, happening, and that's again a uniqueness of Emirates. That's what Emirates will bring in to Israel, which was missing, I think, because of the size and scale of the the network that we have.
1: It's funny you mentioned Buenos Aires. I was on the bus on the way to the airport from work and I was sat next to two ladies from Buenos Aires. And the first question I asked was, how did you get to Tel Aviv? And, And they told me which airline they came, but they said there really isn't a lot of choice. It's interesting you mentioned the JFK market, When people come from JFK using Emirates to Tel Aviv, do you find that a lot of them take two, three days in Dubai or that they just use it
2: as a connection and then go straight to Tel Aviv? Most of the traffic that we have seen, they are associated with some work in Dubai. So they try to hub in Dubai and use Dubai as, an, as a way to conduct meetings or use it as a tourist destination. So they try to club uh, always Dubai with Tel Aviv and it's a good way, I think, in the middle point to break that journey. Uh, so most of that flow that we have seen today, uh, trying to use Dubai as a way to have then continue their journey into Tel Aviv and way back the same thing. According to current reports, there are a lot
1: more Israelis coming into Dubai compared to Emirates flying into Israel. Do you think that's because the Emirates have been waiting for Emirates and they're very loyal to the Emirates
2: brand, or there is another reason? I mean, in general, I mean, we have seen that uh, in many places that uh, we operate uh, to new places or new routes. Uh, whenever Emirates fly, uh, we see a lot of UAE nationals and families, they follow us. Uh, we've seen that in Prague, we have seen that in many parts of even European destinations I don't think Tel Aviv will be any different I think because we commence during the summer peak and by then people have maybe already planned their uh, vacation but I don't think that will be something definitely people will come and and will travel to Tel Aviv in the future we have seen some uh, traffic going to Tel Aviv this summer but I'm sure, as we progress, as we add uh, more capacity, the second flight, uh, many more people will be considering, and we're promoting uh, the destination in United Arab Emirates and our network even not among the Israeli traffic, but even among the other nationalities uh, to be able to travel into Tel Aviv. Something that's happening as we speak. Uh, there is an ATP. Tournament in Tel Aviv is going on, started yesterday uh, until 2nd of October, which is again, Emirates brand is sitting there and and that shows again what Emirates can do and that will be promoted, broadcasted internationally to worldwide Uh, and that's kind of what Emirates can bring in uh, with a change to Tel Aviv as a destination and to Israel and in, in, in general. We just don't fly a metal with our brand and product. We are ambassador of many destinations that we promote and we work with many authorities how we can publicize jointly the destination in the United Arab Emirates and in many parts of our network as well. So, so yes, I think that's part of our objective to promote the destination, uh, way beyond even the United Emirates, and you will see the number will shape up as we progress and as we add more capacity, more flights, uh, more UAE national, you will see them in Tel Aviv in the near future.
1: Adnan Kazim, Chief Commercial Officer of Emirates,
2: thank you very much and shukran. Thank you, thank you.
1: so relaxed (laughs) we've just had the business class experience with Emirates to bring us to Dubai International Airport a chauffeur arrived at our hotel excuse me thank you very much indeed sir our coffee's just being delivered thank you a chauffeur arrived at our hotel a lovely man took our bags dropped us off at the special first and business entrance to the airport we checked in through a special check-in gate for I think it was actually for Tel Aviv but also it would have been the first-class business gate. How long was the process? 10 minutes, 15 minutes, max. You would have arrived, you'd have had a security chat that you have on any flight to Tel Aviv, which lasted two, three minutes, done by a a lovely local employee of Emirates. We checked in, which was another two, three minutes. We walked down to the passport gate, all electronic, and then we came up to the lounge. So there was no hold-up anywhere.
0: Super quick and... Very pleasurable the whole way through. People are very polite. The security check was done beautifully. It was quiz questions, but it was done in a chatty manner. So it was, oh, when were you last here? That type of thing. So you feel at home, even when you're going through that bit where sometimes you get a bit nervous because you think, oh my gosh, what have I left in my suitcase or something? So really, that whole thing was very pleasurable.
1: And and then David had to sort of grab me to slow me down because I knew we were coming to the business lounge and I wanted to get into the business lounge (laughs) and see it. I've had plenty of exercise walking up and down the business lounge. This lounge is long and big.
0: So unbelievably, one of the lounges in this airport, the the lounge itself, the business and first, is a kilometre long. That's three quarters of a mile. It's incredible.
1: Do you want to tell us a couple of things you've seen in the lounge and then we'll maybe get a more expert opinion on the okay. lounges?
0: Okay. As we've already said, Mark has had a few interviews ahead of time so he's already got more of the idea. So for me, this was the first wow moment of coming into business. So right In front of us, I can see there is a beautiful little place called the ice cream tub. It's what you would see in a park or something like that with a beautiful canopy. There are different types of ice cream, including, I believe, there was a Middle Eastern coffee and date. Mm. So that was terrific. The showers, not only the fact that there are the showers and that they bring with them the towels and so on that are all provided, but just the tiling within the showers was beautiful with all the other decor, and you just feel as though you're in a luxury hotel. Maybe I'll give one other um, example. The sleep area that is offered here is just in many airports when you visit if you in the economy areas there will be sleeping areas provided but they're out in the open here there's one or two people get their own sleeping area and it's just like a hotel feel and when we walked in to one that our hosts were showing us there was somebody cleaning the bed cleaning the counters all around and it's something that is incredibly important to the staff here the hygiene the food is replaced every four hours so those have been my experiences so far
1: so my highlight being a bit of a techno geek arriving at the gate there's a biometric entry system you stand in front of the gate the gate looks at your face and just lets you in even more quick contactless entry. I love that. With an animated Emirates stewardess on the gate to talk to you while you're coming through. My other highlight, which shows how high end the lounge is here, is the champagne lounge at the other end. <laughs> I haven't actually had any champagne. Four
0: types of champagne.
1: Moet a Chandon champagne with little food to accompany it. Canapes. That's the word. Surprisingly, it wasn't the busiest part of the lounge. You would think, you know, the chance to sit and have some champagne, but no. The food section, I think, is the business part of that. Anyway, let's find out a little more about Emirates lounges from our expert, Don Surendra, who is in charge of products and projects at Emirates Airport Services.
3: Just to paint a picture of what we do in the lounges, broadly, we have been building lounges for 17 years. So we are the single biggest airline that has that experience of lounges, and the word lounges really doesn't capture the Emirates experience. It's a fine dining experience that we have across the network. In the context of the lounges, I would say the really defining factor is the amount of money that we have spent and the amount of energy that we are putting to create this experience. Seven lounges in Dubai, 32 lounges across the network. The guests have a complete access to a buffet. We have a lot car offerings. And also, we have a complimentary full bar service with wines and spirits. That's the breadth of the experience that we have for the lounges. Is that the
1: same for every lounge, or the seven lounges have different grades of service?
3: On a given day, through the seven lounges in Dubai, 12,000 business class customers are served, and 1,200 first class customers are served. So, the scale of that operation is quite interesting because each of the sets of gates, there are three sets of gates in Dubai. Each of them have a first and a business class lounge, and the offering is almost identical, but with the space in some of the lounges, we can do a little bit more.
1: Do you have to be flying first and business to access a lounge with Emirates, or is there a lounge for people flying economy or premium economy if they want to pay a a top-up?
3: Our lounges for a long time were very exclusive, and maybe about two years ago, we wanted to give people a look behind the curtain. So it's also about kind of finding ways so that a customer says, I'm flying to Muscat. It's a short flight. I really don't need a chauffeur drive car, but I can go in the lounge. So we have paid lounge access across all our lounges in Dubai and across the globe where customers can pay and go in. So an economic class customer who's not traveling in a premium cabin can yet pay and have the lounge experience.
1: Going slightly wider than the lounges, I've been through Dubai airport three or four times now as well as airports across the world. Dubai Airport is a very slick experience. I got off the plane yesterday. I was very lucky to fly business class. I think I was out of the airport within around 15, 16 minutes. My luggage was waiting for me. How much interaction do Emirates have with the running of the airport to make sure that that Emirates experience carries on through the airport once you leave the plane?
3: There's a very close working relationship with the airport and Emirates. All the facilities that get built in are built collectively. So there'll be joint working groups that look at the whole experience. So just to give you an example, in Dubai, we have self-service check-in kiosk. If you're a frequent flyer, you don't need to go to a check-in counter. You can go to a self-service kiosk, have your bag checked in, the bag would be accepted. You could pay if you had excess kilograms and then move on. So these kind of experiences really give the customer a choice and give them options and not just about a traditional check-in experience. We have a chauffeur drive service for our premium customers. They get a separate area to park, they can walk through the airport as well. So what we realize is that giving customers choices when they go through an airport experience, some people like the full service to go to a check-in counter, some customers are very happy to use self-service options. That seems to work very well. There were people stood at every,
1: almost every escalator and every stairway telling you where to go so that you almost don't have to think about it. Someone says, this way, and they, they, they look quite who you're flying with, and they go, the check-in is that way. It, it is very, very high-end.
3: I think that's one of the ethos of uh, Fly Better, and I think we work very closely with, again, the partners in Dubai just to make sure that your experience at the airport should not stress you, should not worry you, you should be able to go. And I think having staff to help and guide you through an airport. And in our case, 70% of our customers are transiting. So for them at four o'clock in the morning, for a mother with two kids and a pushchair, somebody helping them is really part of the ethos of what we do. And that really helps us to differentiate us as a premium airline versus everybody else.
1: Taking that customer, it, it's four or five o'clock in the morning. My flight is at 11 o'clock. I'm flying business and I'm in your lounge other than the food because I, personally I could eat for six hours and drink for six hours but what else is there to do in the lounge other than, than eating and drinking?
3: One of the things that differentiates us we talk about a end-to-end experience so for example in the lounges we have a spa we have a duty-free concierge service so you could buy something from the duty-free at your seat it'll be delivered to you we have number of varied food options So we have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner menu, but we have an all-day breakfast menu. We have a a Leclerc wine cellar that we work, so customers can buy premium wines. Then we have a shoe service, where if you are a premium customer, you can have your shoes shined. So there's a whole range of experiences. Uh, We even have a a barista coffee experience. So rather than go to a machine and self-serve which some people like, you could order a skinny fat latte with soya milk, and you can have that as well. We're the
1: Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. A lot of our customers are Jewish. Now that there is the Abraham Accords and and there is peace and there is a lot more traffic coming through Israel, has that changed the offering of Emirates? And, And what is the offering for, say, religious customers who would only eat kosher food?
3: We've had kosher meals going back to 2018 and 19. And then since 2021, we've partnered with Kosher Arabia. So in the first and business class lounges, there are kosher meals on offer all the time these two samples that i have for you show you that we also kind of have very much understood the needs of a kosher meal and a customer who wants that and we've also had some training for our staff so we've given them an uh, induction into jewish culture so they understand you know how to greet how to kind of present these meals how to make sure the customers that are coming from tel aviv are cared for in a very very differentiated way
1: what other lounges are there outside of Dubai and is there a plan for Emirates to put an Emirates lounge in Ben Gurion Airport?
3: So we got 32 lounges across the world starting from New York all the way to Auckland and these lounges are built to a very specific standard we require a number of square meters so that we can have all these offerings that I've spoken to you about we did assess the space at Ben Gurion Airport unfortunately the isn't space that they can give us so for example our lounge in San Francisco only operates when an Emirates departure. And after the Emirates departure, we close the lounge. So that's the kind of experience we want to create. Unfortunately, at Ben Gurion Airport, there isn't the space. So if the space was to become available, it could be another lounge to add to our third two lounges that we already have. Don surrender Products and Projects
1: Specialist from Emirates Airport Services, thank you very much.
0: Hi, this is David Harris from the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at markdavidpod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com.
1: Oh, wow. Wow what? The Manchester Derby live from 30,000 feet.
0: We're travelling business class with Emirates here on the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. We've taken our very plush seats And I, for the last three days, have been saying to Mark that the biggest soccer game of the year is taking place during our flight. And I'm really upset that we're going to miss it, which is the game between Manchester United and our team, Manchester City. And lo and behold, in front of us are two screens showing the game live, as Mark said, at 30,000 feet.
1: Can you talk quicker? Because I want to watch the football, David.
0: (laughs) This is all part of ice. What on earth
1: is ice mark ice stands for information communications and entertainment this is the emirates in-flight entertainment system that is available throughout the whole aeroplane
0: it's all about touch screens we've got an uh, ipad next to us there are three different ways of controlling this all by by touch screens
1: i want to pay homage to the man who bought us the game and i also <laughs> want to find out more about what's going to happen while we're on this flight.
0: Exactly, because it's not just about screens. There is so much more, including the wonderful crew, who are entertainment themselves.
1: So let's talk to Patrick Brannerly, who is the senior vice president for retail, in-flight entertainment, and connectivity.
0: Easy for you to say.
1: I've been
4: with Emirates since 1992, so I've seen the airline grow up and uh, it's been a tremendous journey. Dubai was tiny in those days, we used to joke, we saw a traffic jam, there were no traffic jams. It was a fraction, probably less than 1% of what's here today. But you had that kind of energy and it was a couple of years later when somebody said you should go and work for Emirates, they've got a job which should suit you. And I was like, really? And I looked at it and you know, I thought i will go out here for, a- everybody comes for a year or two the problem here is it's so busy and there's so much energy you never get time to think about leaving to see the city grow up and you know where i used to live was on the edge of town and now that's probably 3 miles this side of downtown
0: 20 odd years later you find that you're the man responsible for making us happy once we actually get on board the strap line of the company is fly better what does that mean once I climb up those stairs or walk onto the plane.
4: I think many people look at flying as that painful bit before a holiday or to get somewhere. It's not really the way Emirates looks at it. That should be part of the excitement and the part of the journey. And I think if you if you talk with someone like our president, Tim Clark, he can remember as a child the The magic of getting on a plane, and he he flew on planes, pardon me Tim, but much, much before my time, that had propellers and things like this. But the romance of flying and journeying, and I think that's always been what we created. We want you to get off the plane wanting to fly again. The essence is fly better, and I've never been in a meeting in Emirates where we're satisfied with what we do. I've never been in a meeting where we've looked at what the competition is doing. It's always, what can we do better? That doesn't mean we throw tons of money at it because when you work out what you want to do, you do it as efficiently as possible. This is a very efficiently run, well-managed airline.
1: Food is a major part of the flight experience. On some airlines now, there is very little food. On some airlines, it's a source of almost disappointment. But on Emirates, with the fly better strategy... How is food served to customers in business class, in economy class? What can I look forward to?
4: Food is hugely important to us. It always has been. You know, before I came, there was, there was caviar. There's still caviar. There's champagne, the finest wines in the world. I mean, if you look at our first-class wine list and even our business-class wine list, these are far better than most of the customers will probably be buying themselves in restaurants. And that's about living that experience. From the food point of view... It should be a fine restaurant experience it should not be sustenance it's a meal we want you to get off the plane bursting with fulfillment and contentment a bit like when you visit your parents on a Sunday for Sunday lunch or you know the the weekend meal and that feeling when you leave there and it's almost like you wish you maybe hadn't eaten so much but it's a wonderful feeling that you associate with home and and I think that's that's what we want people to feel.
0: Whilst We're going to share the experience with listeners on this podcast over the next few minutes. Of course, Mark and I have already flown with you business on the way over here. And one thing that I I wanted to say thank you for was the fact that when I got this beautiful menu and I read the English and I turned over to the back and saw the Arabic and then I looked in the middle and it was in Hebrew. Beyond food, there's lots of buttons and things to press and, and, and movies and whatever. Talk us through how you want people to enjoy, to experience, to relax.
4: Thank you for the comments about the menu. Uh, You'll find a local language menu on almost every route we fly where we have the third language. Uh,
0: Did you notice the Hebrew films? I didn't. In fact, we had a discussion about this last night because Mark, when we finally met each other at at the hotel, Mark said, you know what? Because I'd said, isn't it nice that they've got the Hebrew and I talked about the Abraham Accords and isn't it wonderful this coming together? And Mark said, yeah, but they don't have anything in the entertainment system
1: in Hebrew. It's true. But then I just went straight for Top Gun Maverick. (laughs)
4: Yeah, that's a that's difficult to avoid
1: <laughs> did you watch the first Top Gun we have both on I've seen the first Top Gun and I still remember it so I went for Top Gun Maverick the problem you have in business is you've got these wonderful big screens and everyone was watching Top Gun Maverick at a different point so I could see a funeral in one corner there was an explosion in the other corner and I'm sat with my eyes trying not to catch up and get ahead of myself on the film but yes no I watched Top Gun Maverick in widescreen television in front of me and it was great
0: The perfect thing for me, it couldn't have worked any better. I watched uh, one of the Harry Potter films. I'm, I'm still catching up from 20 years ago. From the moment of takeoff, pausing for all of the wonderful service that I got along the way to speak to staff, pressing play again, the titles came on at the end of the film just as we touched down and you couldn't have planned that any better so thank you very much indeed for that as well
4: i've had the same experience i know between here and boston you can watch all three godfather films
0: (laughs) and and you'll get the credits (laughs) as you're taxiing in you also have very red eyes so beyond the laughing and joking talk about that side of the experience
4: entertainment it means to keep you occupied Uh, emirates was the first airline to put tvs on every seat back in 1992 and that was really why I think I was asked to join Emirates to handle that because it it can't be easy. So I said, well, I know nothing really about that. And they said, well, nobody does. We're the first. I had to learn and meet up with all the film studios and buy content from all around the world. And in those days, we only had six channels, which was a lot because I came from the UK where we only had three channels in the whole country. So it was like, wow. But of course, we had to have a channel or two in Arabic content and one for kids. So you're back to three. Within six months of that launch. We'd ordered some 777s, the first 777s that were ordered by this airline, and they were due for delivery in 96. And I was in a meeting and they were saying, we're going to increase this to 20 channels. And I was like, we've got six, that's more than the UK. But it was really about this shock and awe and oversupply and, you know, allow people to maybe experience something they haven't experienced on the ground. Uh, later on, we added video on demand in, in the early 2000s. Um, we were a little bit later than some other airlines because we didn't think the technology was ready, but it was ready in the early 2000s and we put it on. And, and then I sat down I thought, okay, how do we make this really wonderful? And went for this massive choice. We hit, We launched with 500 channels. And at the time, this was pre-ipod we had a lot of music on there and people said why nobody needs this much music but actually just before we launched iPod came out but we, we, we designed it before iPod but, and everybody was then thinking well, yeah it's kind of fun having 30,000 songs on your hip so you get on the plane you have all these movies and it was just like oh the flight's not long enough and I thought bingo that's what we want we want the feeling where you get off and it was about six months later when somebody from reservations called me and said Patrick what's an ice plane and I said why and they said a customer has called up and they said they will only fly on holiday on an ice plane. And of course, we only had three or four at that stage. Now we've got 260 or 250. And I thought, wow, that's it. We've done it. And, and people love this choice. We have movies, of course, from Hollywood. We've over, I think, 1500 movies on the plane from all over the world. We've got all the classics that you you can find. You, you talked about Harry Potter. I think we have the entire set on board. Uh, we've got six Hebrew films, by the way, at the moment. I wish there was more, but we, we're limited to what's supplying. We have movies from over 40 countries around the world. So getting engaged to buy Nollywood films, which is Nigeria, uh, of course, Bollywood and other EWoods around the world. So we buy from 40 of these around the world to, so that when people get on board, you know, whether you're Sri Lankan or German or French or Israeli,
1: we want you to feel at home and have something for you. Coming from the Jerusalem Post podcast, one of the first places I went to was podcasts. And on there, I saw Frying Pan Adventures. David and I, in a previous podcast in Dubai, went on a tour with Frying Pan Adventures uh, with Farida Ahmed from Frying Pan Adventures. So for me, that was brilliant. I got nostalgic and I listened to a podcast about food in Dubai. Do you have employees whose
0: job it is to fly on planes? And I don't mean air marshals. I mean people whose job it is to press all the buttons, to taste things, to complain, to, to see how things are. And can I apply for that job?
4: We do have uh, multiple teams of people who inspect the product at all points across our organisation, whether it's lounges or on board, that will fly and do, you know, every month. It's a, it's a two-hour presentation of every little pickup. And the pickup could be a little stain on the carpet that looks like it's been there for more than a day. we're not happy with that so to everything that this this food service isn't working and a lot of people didn't do this or a lot of people really like that so we try and be in touch but in the i don't know 20 years ago we we were one of the first airlines to equip our cabin crew with tablets they were microsoft tablets it was before the ipad we call that system kiss which is knowledge information system so they fill out reports on every flight of what's happening and we read those every day that's really important because you find out what's really happening on the coalface and the most critical people are our own management when we fly so our product meetings are quite fun when
1: people say oh this was just
4: terrible or this was good do more of that do less of this
1: is duty-free still sort a of thing on planes I was so engrossed in the film
4: no we do in-flight retail so duty-free is an old concept of I think pretty tired products and Dubai is, is largely duty-free anyhow so what we try and do is bring really good products that allow you to maybe pick up a gift on the flight or buy something for yourself. So, of course, you've got the, the, the travel adapter is one of our most biggest selling thing because people leave them at home. I think if we if we had a box full of Apple iPhone charging cables, we'd probably sell out on every flight. But, you know, what you'll find in there is is some pretty rare perfumes, some mainstay perfumes as well is one of the leading perfumes in the UK at the very top end. If you go to sort of Harrods and Selfridges, it's called Bodicea the Victorious. Sells for $1,200 a bottle or £1,200 a bottle. We sell it for $900 a bottle and we sell huge amounts of that. So why are people buying that? They need a gift. They want to spoil somebody on arrival. You know, they want something for their wife or they want something for their son or somebody their guest their friend's son so we're trying to look at that as a service and it's very vibrant we've seen sales are stronger now than they were before covid we've also launched a pre-order service so before your flight to go on online you can pick from a much wider range of products and it's delivered to your seat a bit like a i don't know like a fedex or a dhl but by our crew what's wonderful about that is It's a big surprise on the flight. Now it's getting to the point that my wife, if she doesn't get one, she says, well, you didn't book me a a gift. (laughs) So the world is evolving, and I think there's going to be more of that in the future.
0: The the future is is about, you know, pre-order, surprise and and delight. Mark and I have got a thousand more questions, but... We're going to leave it here. Uh, You're you're waving. You say, Give me, give me, give me, give me. But we've only got a restricted amount of time on the podcast. So, Patrick Bradley, it's been fascinating. I'm going to get your title right because I'm holding your card. It says Senior Vice President of Retail, IFE, and Connectivity Service Delivery, and I suspect a whole lot more. Thank you so much for talking
5: to us.
4: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: As soon as you board the plane and sit down one of the cabin crew comes along and on this particular flight offered a choice of champagne, a carrot, apple, ginger and other things juice and an orange juice. Then immediately afterwards hot towels and then they invite you to order from the menu.
1: And it's not just a small menu it is an extensive menu of mocktails, juices, tea, coffee, cocktails, and some really really high-end wines. The Emirates flight experience is about fine dining in the sky.
0: Which brings us to the lunch. Now what I'm going to be talking about for the next minute or so is not the kosher option. We'll get onto that in a moment. But amongst the things on offer as the appetizers, there are Arabic dips and smoked salmon, the mains pan seared chili and sea bass roasted chicken the vegetarian option of a mushroom ravioli and there are multiple desserts including a very
1: fine cheese board and right at the end it says fine luxury chocolates i'm in for a bit of that however if you can't eat one of these meals you can have a speciality meal and when you book your flight emirates has every kind of speciality meal vegan gluten-free south asian you name it on the emirates menu you can order the speciality meal and it will be brought to you probably before everybody else
0: and the one that mark hasn't mentioned kosher oh yes how naughty of you not to mention kosher
1: i forgot because i've already started my kosher eating experience in the emirates lounge it was great fabulous really really tasty we had a little bit of shakshuka
0: This was a
1: vegan shakshuka
0: made from polenta and spicy tomatoes.
1: And to go with it, there was a lovely cauliflower shawarma salad, Mm. not with meat shawarma, but vegetarian shawarma. Spicy.
0: As you know by now, Mark was here a day before me, and he went behind the scenes to find out more about kosher food production for Emirates. So who did you
1: meet, Mark? The first person I met to tell me all about the wonderful flavors of kosher
5: Arabia was the executive chef. Trent Sanft, or Chef Trent, as we call him. Kosher Arabi has already been 18 months in the making, and um, we started in March 2021. We walked into a building that was bare, and we had to outfit it and get it right, and we had a kind of a look at uh, what sort of cuisine and what sort of uh, food that we should be sending out of the unit to all the customers on the flight. Whoever wants to try our food through... Hotels or through a, a private event or through our, our platform called Chat Food, which you can order and you will get it within 24 hours. The GM himself, um, Matt Rickard, and, and myself, we sat down and we said, Hey, we'd love to have since all the food will be coming from the UAE. We would like to have Middle Eastern cuisine on the flights and we built it and built it with uh, very little understanding of uh, the cuisine. I've had a lot of help from a young man that I work with now. He's my second in charge and he has a background of of working in the UAE and doing uh, Middle Eastern food. So we came down to, to that notion and we're doing very well. The food is considered homey food. We consider it homely food because you sit down and it's something that you sit back on a plane and think, hey, this tastes and sounds like mum had cooked it for me. So this is where we've, we've come to and we'll received a whole lot of um, very satisfying comments from people flying all over the world. We've walked through the kitchens. You've taken me through a meaty kitchen and a pure of kitchen.
1: So there's nothing dairy on the menu. But... Give me an idea of what's being made in the kitchens for the next, I I assume most of it isn't frozen, it goes out fresh,
5: but what is on the menu? Today with airline catering, we go on cycles. We're now on a 10 day cycle, we're on sea bass, kind of a twist on an Arabic dish that's called saidea. So we've modernized it a little bit and swapped it around to make sure that it's airline worthy. So it's a sea bass and a caramelized onion rice, which if you are from the Middle East and you understand what saidea is, it's basically onions being burnt and trying to get that caramelized color when you do the stock and then you add it to the rice. You see the rice is basmati rice or jasmine rice that you put into the stock and it ends up with a very dark brown color. And then we have it with a herb and a tomato salsa A lot of lemon put into that salsa it's one of those fishes that we have that you can store it for at least two hours in a warmer or cook it until it's you think it's dry but once you bring it out you put a fork through it or put a spoon through it it's still moist and it suits the cook chill dish and reheat as the process is for airline food about six months ago
1: David and I produced a podcast about kosher food in Dubai and one of the challenges for quality kosher food was sourcing ingredients. Has anything changed in the last six months or is it still a day-to-day battle to find really good quality ingredients to meet the standard that you want?
5: It's still a challenge with fresh produce is not a challenge because you can get that. Uh, Dubai is, has that luxury that we have four seasons in Dubai. It doesn't matter where the, what the season is, wherever in the world we'll get the biggest issue we have in procurement part of things is the dried goods and the proteins it's not a constant supply we have to work logistics in seeing who has it where it's available who can we get it direct from and overseas so direct import into the country or we just have to um, rely on the supermarkets which many people in Dubai or in the UAE don't know that currently in their cupboards there is kosher products that are in their cupboards or in their kitchens. It's still a challenge but it's a challenge that eventually when we do get a lot of Jewish people living in Dubai and constantly being in Dubai, people will adapt, companies will adapt to start trying to get those products. in.
1: Chef Trent, thank you very much.
5: Thank you very much. Great uh, having this opportunity. And uh, whenever anybody flies out of Dubai, please do order Kosher Arabia Meals, which is a special meal on the Emirates platform.
0: You're listening to the Jerusalem Post Podcast Travel Edition with Mark Gordon and David Harris. Mark, that was Chef Trent, Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously you went behind the scenes, you saw the things and so on, but this is all part of a a much broader concept of kosher in the UAE.
1: It is, and as you say that, our lunch has arrived. I've got a very beautiful Yemeni spiced lamb uh, and some hummus and a very lovely... Saffron poached pear with cardamom Cremer. So,
0: all that was prepared by Chef Trent? It
1: was, well, not all by him, there's a very large <laughs> team at a very large facility at Kosher Arabia.
0: Who runs it and what's the big picture?
1: So, Kosher Arabia is a joint venture with Emirates Flight Catering and a member of the community in Dubai called Ross Creel. Let's find out more about Kosher Arabia with its business development manager, David Johnson. I've abandoned Chef Trent and come into the boardroom at Kosher Arabia, where there is a fair old spread in front of me, smoked salmon, a rice, beetroot salad, shakshuka, the Chilean sea bass that we mentioned earlier, some very, very good looking babka, which I might start devouring any minute. So while I start devouring that, I'm joined by David Johnson, who is the business development manager here.
6: Kosher, we keep saying is uh, the food is that good, That I keep saying that we should have a hashtag or a a tagline which is kosher is not just for kosher because it is literally delicious. The food that the ladies and gentlemen here produce is exceptional.
1: I was hoping you'd talk for longer because I'm still devouring the bubka. No, no, I was kidding. I'm still devouring the bubka. Help yourself. It's really good. They bought in three bubkas and there's two of us here. So it's one and a half each. Chicken and egg question or as they say in the kosher food world, chicken soup and egg salad question. What came first, the Abraham Accords or Kosher Arabia?
6: Kosher Arabia came out prior to the Abraham Accords and literally was the brainchild of Ross Creel and Emirates Flight Catering, wanting to produce kosher food Prior to everything opening up, it was phenomenal that obviously the Abraham calls were signed and did open the markets up and travel from Israel and Israelis and the Jewish contingents um, coming into Dubai, which was something that obviously was unfortunately not happening before, but that literally coincided with Kosher Arabia's, this brainchild being created and it been the most perfect timing really. How
1: many airline meals are you producing a day and how much of that goes to Emirates and how much of that goes to other airlines?
6: We're producing at around 600 meals per day. Obviously, with the second flight to Tel Aviv at the end of October, those numbers will rise. And equally, the numbers of passengers ordering kosher food, it's not just kosher, as I said before. Literally, people who are lactose-free, we're a completely dairy-free facility here. So anyone who's lactose-free or has intolerances, they're vegetarian or vegan, we can facilitate those two, and the food is healthy. In terms of other airlines, we supply everything really through Emirates Flight Catering, who then facilitate other airlines. I have no idea of the numbers, the quantities that the other airlines get, but obviously part of my job is to sell to other airlines and airline caterers so there's a lot of travel that has happened and will be happening over the coming weeks and months because the word is spreading which is fantastic people like the fact that the quality is so great in comparison to the historic rather grotty food that's been served prior for kosher passengers
1: does your offering change for customers who are in economy premium economy business first or is there a standard kosher meal
6: there are different tiers, so in economy the trays are smaller, in business they're larger, and in first obviously they're bigger. But the quality is the same throughout, so whether you're flying in economy or first class, the food is first class it's
1: not just airline meals here is it there's there's a wider business than airline catering
6: we supply hotels we supply dmcs we supply private clients also so private clients who are kosher or lactose free we supply that we're looking at supplying clients who want to order in a kind of delivery fashion we have a platform for people ordering online food but yeah so hotels Primarily are picking up the the mantra and try to create their own kosher kitchens, but found that it was too tiresome and too laborious and would rather focus on their own dining and catering options, leaving us and other kosher caterers to supply them. But the feedback that we're getting again is is fantastic. So there are luxury hotels within this part of the world which are really luxurious, and they have found that prior kosher food does not deliver the standard that the clients are expecting from those particular hotel brands. So again, we fit there perfectly. And we sit down with the chefs to create dishes which are, if a hotel brand has a synonymous dish around the world, we will try to create a dish which is kosher, but that marries up with that particular brand as standard and product that they are serving You know, it could be in this region or it could be a global product. Um, And we try and create a a kosher product that is of the same quality and standard as the hotel would serve.
1: When you envisage kosher catering on an airline, you envisage tons and tons of silver foil, tons of plastic. It's not the most sustainable product. What is kosher Arabia doing in the 21st century to make it more sustainable?
6: Our products are served in cardboard, there is as little plastic as possible, and we're eagerly looking at replacing any slight element that we have left that is plastic. The cutlery that's served on board is made from compressed palm leaves, sourced locally, created locally, uh, which is great. So we are doing our bit to be as, as environmentally friendly as possible in terms of the way that it's handed out we offer a very seamless and easy solution for both the staff the crew on board who have to heat the food and serve the food as opposed to the complex uh, situation that has historically been the scenario of bringing the tray having them having the seal broken and then redone and and it's just laborious so we've tried to remove all of that element
1: is there an option for kosher vegetarians and kosher vegans
6: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we cater for vegans and vegetarians within our menus. So we have various in-room, dining room menus, we have group menus, we have pat bags that we offer. And all the menus that we offer, we offer vegan and vegetarian options for our clients. And again, I must reiterate the fact that we are uh, dairy-free. So again, we cover the box of lactose intolerance too. So yes, absolutely.
1: David Johnson, Business Development Manager at Kosher Arabia. Thank you.
6: So that is Emirates
0: business. It's
1: marvellous, isn't it?
0: It really has been. And I just want to say, because we're about to do all of our thank yous, that as well as thanking the crew that we are flying with right now on our way back to Israel, I also want to say a big thank you to the crew who took us out from Tel Aviv separately. Both crews. Both crews, exactly. The, The service was very, very good indeed.
1: And our limo drivers and everybody else along the way. Also, we really must say a big thank you to the team at Emirates who have organized this trip. That would be Rula and Maria
0: and of course everybody that you've heard from and again behind the scenes from Emirates and Kosher Arabia as we always do at this point it's time to ask you to do a couple of things for us because hopefully we've entertained you over the last hour or so and now it's your turn to entertain us
1: very simply subscribe to the Jerusalem Post podcast not only do you get David and myself telling you all about the travel world but you get the team giving you the news every week.
0: It's very easy to do. This is the only thing we're going to ask you to do this time, is to subscribe. If you don't know how to do that, then you can get in touch with us. Our email is very simple. It's markdavidpod at gmail.com.
1: And look out for us in the Jerusalem Post newspaper as well
0: where you will be able to read articles about this trip, other trips to the UAE, and a variety of journeys that we've made around the world. Quiz time? Yeah, that would be terrific.
1: Absolutely. The question was, where was the first ever Emirates flight to?
0: I know the answer. Should I oh, say it this time? Of course
1: you do. You sent me the question. I
0: did. So I'll get the pleasure of saying it was Karachi in Pakistan. All that remains is two things one for us to say goodbye say goodbye 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 to everybody and before we go mark i missed you for 24 hours it was so hard and i was so glad to be back with you for the return journey
1: never let it happen again (laughs) bye bye everyone bye bye